0: I invite you to pray with me. Lord God, as we uh, come to you this morning, we are so glad that you got us up, you brought us here, and that we have this time, this space to uh, listen to you, to hear what you have to say to us. And so, Lord God, we pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is a day of lasts in the rhythm of the church year. I grew up in a church that is uh, very non-liturgical, which means... um, we celebrated Christmas and Easter, and that was just about it, folks. Um, I didn't know about Pentecost. I'd never heard of Monday, Thursday. Um, a lot of the things that we celebrate in our tradition, I just didn't know about. And so I, I'm a little bit late to the party of the church year, and I have to tell you, um, I love it. About eight years into knowing what it was, I got a little bit bored. I got, oh my gosh, here we go again. It's Monday, Thursday, but but i have learned over the years that those rhythms of the church year help me to focus on different parts of my spiritual life and that's the purpose of it isn't it so that every year we get to experience the breadth of what god has for us in our relationship with god so today is a day of transition of change And how many of us love change? Not very many, right? Not very many. But this is the last Sunday of the Easter season. Uh, The church year gives us about seven weeks to to experience the joy of Easter with our singing and uh, praising God and and focusing on what Jesus did after he rose from the dead. And um, so we sang an Easter song at the beginning of our worship service. So we, we remember what Jesus did after the resurrection. But then this week, this Sunday, is the day that we celebrate Jesus' ascension into heaven. It's Ascension Sunday. And um, the Bible tells us that Jesus went to heaven 40 days after the resurrection. So th- literally it was Thursday, but today's Sunday, so we are celebrating and as we think about ascension, uh, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, we are given a description of it. It must have been incredible. In fact, I mean, the, the disciples had no idea how to deal with this new reality, even though Jesus said it was coming. And when you read, if you were to read first, um, first chapter of Acts, you'll discover that um, even the author of that chapter has a hard time describing what happened. Jesus was there and then he wasn't. And the disciples are left looking up at the sky wondering what in the world to do next. And we are told that an angel came and said quit looking up. Look out and go do what Jesus has taught you to do. Every single one of us experience last things in our lives, don't we? You might be living through a last thing right now, the last day of school. A graduation, which is a big last day of school. It's also a look into the future that has not yet arrived. Some of us may be ending a job or a career. We may be looking forward to a new job or or retirement, and yet that hasn't come into fruition yet. But when we have those times of last things, we feel unsettled. We might be excited, and, and yet we are uneasy because we don't know what this change will bring. And certainly the disciples felt that way too. They were unsure of how to respond when when Jesus says, okay, this is really it. I am leaving you now. You know exactly what to do because I've, I've taught you everything you need to know. Go and do it. And yet they had questions. How would they cope without Jesus? Who would lead them? How would they live? Where would they go? What should they do first? They must have been frightened. I think even even in this miraculous experience of seeing Jesus leave, it must have been frightening as well. And all they knew was that they should wait and expect. Jesus told them the power of the Holy Spirit would show them their next steps. So, on this Sunday of last things, of waiting, of expecting, of knowing a change is coming, we are invited to hear Jesus' prayer for disciples everywhere. It's Jesus' prayer for unity. And it's an interesting choice, I think, of, of scripture for Ascension Sunday, because it is a a backwards look to Jesus praying for disciples immediately before he went to die. And so the focus on Ascension Sunday is not really on Jesus' leave-taking, but on Jesus' prayer for disciples in every time and every place. And Jesus prays for one thing, unity. He prays that those who follow Jesus will learn to love each other and to work together. He wants us to be united in our love for God, in our focus on God's people, and on our our desire to glorify God in all that we do. And Jesus knows it's going to be hard to do these things, right? Right? He's been doing it for three years, and in fact, as soon as he prays this prayer, he goes out and he's arrested. He's judged, he's tortured, and he's killed. He knows what he's talking about, and he knows it is hard. He knows that what what disciples are called to do is impossible by ourselves. We need God, and we have to have each other. So Jesus prays for us which to me is always a little emotional to think about Jesus pleading to God for each one of us. And he wants us to be one so that the world can see God's glory through us. The point of unity is not to build a better organization. It's not to be stronger. It's not to be bigger and better than anybody else. The only point of unity is to be the force for God's tender love and care in the world. United we do things that we just can't do by ourselves. And so I find this prayer overwhelming in some ways to think about Jesus praying for us. He's very clear. He says, I don't just pray for these disciples right now, but for those who will follow. He's praying for each one of us. But I struggle with this prayer as well. And I struggle because of this vision that Jesus has for us. We know that it was hard for Jesus to find unity with 12 disciples, right? In fact, he ended up with 11 at the end because one had already deserted him. How much more difficult it is for millions of people who say that they're disciples to work together. Over the years, churches have defined or interpreted oneness or unity to mean an organization, a structure of a um, a church body. And there are lots of different churches that say that they're the only church, right? The Catholic Church says that. I think the Orthodox Church says that. Um, Our little brand of Christianity, United Methodism, does not say that. We don't think we are the only church out there, guys. But... Most churches think in institutional ways and we spend billions of dollars around the world maintaining structures. And I do know that the more that Christians believe that we own the means of God's grace, the less time and energy we have for God's work. The less time and energy we have to experience God's grace and enjoy the gifts that God gives each one of us. And so I know, and I suspect you know too, that Jesus' plea for unity has been misunderstood and undermined by us, the disciples that Jesus prayed for. We take this idea of unity and we use it as a means of power over each other. And so I struggle with Jesus' words. And what did Jesus want for us? Why did Jesus plead for us in this way? Our very own denomination right now is struggling with what it means to be a church. Who makes the decisions in our denomination? And how do we stay together as different visions of the church emerge? And so as I have been thinking about this issue of unity, it seems to me that Jesus was never really interested in the structure or organization of anything he did not set up a spreadsheet for us to follow he did not develop structures of committees in churches even though we almost make a God out of them that was not what Jesus was about what if the church is not supposed to be a top-down structure where only a few people are in control maybe Jesus really wasn't thinking about an organization. As I look at the prayer that Jesus prayed, it's really clear to me that Jesus was praying about relationships. He is praying to God that we who follow him will live with God and each other in the same kind of relationship that Jesus had with God. Jesus says, the glory that you have given me I have given them, so they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The grace and love of God are simply words unless and until we live them out in our relationships. We're called to be one body, And it seems to me that it's pretty literal. We give our bodies, we give our blood, our sweat, our tears, our minds, our mouths, our arms, our feet, our time, our energy on loving relationships, loving God, loving each other. We, like the disciples of old, are not given the power to know everything, to see the future very clearly in many ways, we, we struggle to know what to do in times of, of uncertainty, in times of change, just like they, they did. We want unity, we're not totally sure how to achieve it. Sometimes we get discouraged and unsure of ourselves. But in the middle of all of those very human reactions, the words of Jesus are here for us, wait and the Holy Spirit will come and will guide you into the next thing. Unity through the Holy Spirit doesn't come because some one person has dictatorial power. It comes in the midst of community where we invite God to be a part of who we are. It comes in loving relationships powered by the Holy Spirit. And the reality is that folks, Christians live in thousands, millions of different communities around the world. The ways that we share God's grace is going to be different depending on where we live. But the message that God loves us with the same kind of intimacy that God loved Jesus is the message for everyone. Organizational structures come and go. The ways that we Share God's love can change. But the importance of relationship never changes. Jesus didn't pray for an institution. He prayed for people. He prayed for each one of us and for our community. That we can learn to trust God and to live in love with each other. And so today, uh, in this time of change, when... um, the disciples don't know what's next, and maybe we don't know what's next. We are invited to be part of a body to enflesh the story of Jesus' love every day. We are called today and tomorrow, throughout the week, to take on Jesus' hands and his feet, his speech and his heart, to be Jesus' blood and sweat and tears. This last weekend, I saw our church Living that out as the body of Christ, as, as some folks worked in a concession stand for eight hours yesterday in the heat of the day at uh, Six Flags, earning money to make beds for children in St. Louis. Others of us had the, the, the great experience of going next door and just enjoying time with our neighbors. And um, you know, it's amazing what a bounce house will do. I am going to tell on some people in this congregation. Marilyn Hebert, Bounced in a bounce house for the first time in her life, and she was still walking today, so I am very impressed. Marilyn, wherever you are, hands off to you. Um, Jeff Brandon tried to break the brown bounce house, but he had a great time bouncing as well. This coming week, we are, are going to invite kids into our, our church as we make friends and we eat lunch together uh, for 10 weeks this summer and we're going to experience um, the joy of Jesus and me on Wednesday evenings. To me, that's what Christian unity looks like. Not that we all do the same thing at the same time in one unified structure, but together with one God that we know through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we learn and we inspire, we laugh, we make mistakes, we reach out, And we change the world where we are called to be. We are God's beloved. We are invited into a relationship as intimate as God's relationship with Jesus. And that just blows me away every time I think about it. And then we are invited to share that good news with others. What an invitation for each one of us. Thanks be to God. Amen.